This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You are listening to iFanboy's Explode, featuring Chris Schweitzer and Scott Chandler. If I were out of force, I was running out of focus. And I was kicking it with Kevin. The scratches on my back, they formed into a choir. Belted out of chorus. There were clicks and hisses and complicated kisses. Gideon's got a pipe made for the Pringles can. This is a fun one today. We have Chris Schweitzer, known for his uh, Krogan's books and his latest version, 
Krogan's loyalty out from Oni Press following the adventures of the Krogan family throughout time. They've got pirates, they've got uh, Foreign Legion, and they've got now the Revolutionary War, and there's a whole lot more on the way. Um, we also have Scott Chandler, who uh, is known for uh, the Northwest Passage from Oni as well, and his more recent book, Two Generals, and also his all-ages books, the Three Thieves series. Um, these two guys are really wonderful graphic novelists, and uh, it's been a fun conversation. We went over all sorts of stuff, so listen up and you'll definitely learn a little. There's some make comics, there's some uh, biography, and there's uh, just some, some talking comics in general. Hey, this is Josh Flanagan from iFanboy.com, and I'm here uh, for another Toxplode podcast. I have two cartoonists slash graphic novelists slash whatever else they want to add in there with me tonight. I have uh, Scott Chandler. Now you hey say, there. Hey, <laughs> now you say hello. <laughs> and uh, Chris Schweitzer. Hi, Josh. Hi, Scott. Uh, in the in the sort of uh, tradition that I've developed here of doing sort of roundtable uh, conversations with with creators of, of different types, uh, I thought it'd be really fun to get you two together because um, I didn't actually know that you knew each other, but I did know that you got each, you've been mixed up with each other a lot. That's a thing. Mixed up in what way exactly? <laughs> I think I think probably he means like every time there's an article pertaining to one of us, like it seems like the other one has done a press release around the same time, and so uh, for yeah. for like it, it seems like a just a, a baffling number of times uh, news articles have have related to two in the independent things that each one of us have done that are somehow thematically related so we do tend to get mentioned in the same breath a lot chris and i well i i I have one of those bugs on his computer where i can see what he's doing and i just sort of do the same thing on mine so that that uh that helps Excellent. Viruses, viruses. No, wait, worms. I, 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 I obviously you, have nothing on your computer. I don't, you, yeah. you can't even figure out a, a, a Skype avatar. <laughs> um, let's let's get started. I like to sort of uh, get the listeners acquainted with uh, the general uh, oeuvre and, and sort of where you came from. So, uh, Chris... Uh, you've got you've got a new book out, um, and it's the it's the third in the in the Krogan's line. Why don't you tell me real, real briefly sort of what the what the book is? Well, uh, this one is a story about two brothers on opposite sides of the uh, American War for Independence, um, and it's a uh, little shy two hundred pages. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's about it. Uh, third third book in the Krogan series. First one was uh, pirates. Second one was uh, French Foreign Legion. So. Uh, each one jumps around time periods and genres. It gives me a chance to uh, basically never get bored. <laughs> but it's the same. You're doing the sort of one big ongoing story, though, right? Yeah, yeah. It's all it's all basically the same family line, and so uh, that that allows it to all stay within the same series framework. And you do have uh, side characters popping up uh, at various stages, whether either younger or older. Um, so, so there is a bit of like a world building and a continuity there, but, uh, one of the things that I really try to do with it is make sure that each book is wholly independent, that, that there will be treats inside for, uh, readers of the series, but that, that each one could be basically picked up in any order. Um, and you can use that as a starting point. Cool. And, and Scott, uh, I think it was a year or, or a little, little more ago, uh, two generals came out for you and you're working on the, the, the third of your, the third of your trilogy also, or is it not a trilogy or is it ongoing? Uh, the three thieves. Uh, there are going to be seven of those three thieves books. Ah. So, so I've got, yeah, I know I've got a lot of work ahead of me. I'm actually working on the fourth book now. The third one's in the can. Uh, it's going to come out in the fall. It's called the captive prince. 
the first book was Tower of Treasure, which won the uh, Schuster Award up here in Canada for Best Comic for Kids uh, last Bravo. year. Thank you very much. So, yeah, it's a thing. It's keeping me busy for sure. Now, um, you guys who, are... Uh, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Who, who's publishing uh, uh, Three Thieves? Uh, it is published by a uh, mass market book publisher called Kids Can Press. Really kids well known. Press. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Really well known. I knew, I knew it was one of there. I knew it was one of the kids ones, but I couldn't remember which one. Yeah. Um, okay. Sorry. No, 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 no problem. Um, let Let's uh, I guess get started and go back a little to uh, Chris. How did How did you get started in in comics? Where did, how, when did you decide that this is what you want to do and and the, and the, you know this would be a big part of uh, of what you're doing? And you you also teach. Am I Am I right about that? I do. Yeah, I teach. I teach comics. I'd always wanted to teach, um, and sort of knew that whatever field I got into. Um, I was going to want to teach. I was young enough to not realize that that was a sort of a wise, realistic move financially. Um, uh, it wasn't until after that started being, you know, significant support system for the family that I was like, oh, that was a, a good idea. Um, but initially it was just because my dad had been a college professor and I always uh, wanted to do, to uh, do the same. And you so, had all those corduroy jackets around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> elbow patches all growing up. Um, and so uh, whenever I lighted on comics, which which happened when I was 25, um, I was uh, the graphic novel sections in bookstores had had just blown up, and I had gotten to where I was becoming more of a habitual comics reader again. I had I had sort of become a very casual comics reader um, through most of high school and college, uh, devouring newspaper strips, but really outside of that, um, not really reading all that much. Um, and it wasn't until, yeah, Barnes & Noble uh, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, just their their graphic novel section exploded, and I started reading a ton and drawing more on my own and uh, discovered stuff online and, and it just got me really excited. And, um, yeah, around the time I was 25, I sort of decided that's what I really wanted to do. It, it hit home in a way that, that, uh, it hadn't really before that this is something that a, I wanted to do and something that I could do. And so whenever I made that decision, uh, we just jumped into it a whole hog. My, my wife and I moved to Atlanta. Uh, well, we, we, moved to Kentucky first where I, I taught, uh, for a little shy of a year, um, uh, in order to basically prepare a portfolio for grad school and start doing studies on my own and things like that. Uh, but then we, we moved to Atlanta, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I, I started graduate school, uh, for the, the dual purpose of a really wanting to, to own and, and learn my craft as much as possible. Um, and B get a terminal degree so that I would be able to teach that craft and, uh, and sort of basically just started from there. And in, in doing so, uh, within the first year of grad school, I got my, my Oni contract. Um, uh, so Scott, you were one of the, the earlier people that I met in comics, actually, uh, SPX, the one that I, I met you at, uh, that was my first comic show that I'd ever gone to. Uh, yeah, I think it was, uh, I think it was SPX 2006. I, unless I'm wrong. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're yeah. right. So, so well, you, you just, just started school. Decide what were you doing? What were you concentrating on? I guess before comics is just illustration or well, I, I wasn't, I, I think concentrating would be a very, uh, <laughs> sort of loose term for it. I, I was really all over the place. I, I had a 
ton of hobbies uh, and no real focus. Um, so I did a little bit of music. I did a little bit of writing. I did a little bit of drawing. Um, I did a little bit of filmmaking. I, it was, but none were directed, and I was not putting enough attention into any one area uh, to really better myself in it. Um, and I was uh, at the time that I decided on comics. Um, I was. Uh, working at a hotel, my wife and I ran a hotel in Mississippi for a couple of years. Uh, and I just had a lot of free time up at the desk. And so I was reading a ton and drawing a lot. Um, and it just sort of sprang from there. Um, I, I'm, I'm really kind of lucky that, that comics presented itself as a solution. Uh, the two other, uh, potential career paths that I was actively considering were Episcopal priest or, uh, <laughs> army. Um, and, uh, the, the, the priest thing sort of, I, I decided that I was ill suited for the, uh, the, the more pastoral roles of it. Um, the, the, uh, the, the preaching and the, the, the study and the theology I really enjoyed, but I, the, the idea of the one-to-one stuff, I think, I, I don't think I'm necessarily as suited to that. Um, now that I teach, I, I do that all the time. So I feel, you know, you, you, you make do, but, um, uh, and then the army, uh, we were seriously looking into that and a big part of it was me sort of being youthful and stupid and, and wanting adventure. Um, and, uh, once I found out that there was no way that I would be deployed anywhere interesting, that I'd basically be in Idaho making maps because I had a graphic design degree, um, that sort of killed that idea for me too. And I'm glad that it did because I think that that would have been, uh, really very difficult for Liz. She was very supportive of me with whatever decision I was going to go with. But I think that had I been, you know, deployed overseas, that would have been very, very hard on her. I've, I've honestly never heard that origin story. That is really <laughs> something. Scott, yeah, you got, can you beat that? <laughs> like, well, I was going to be a rock climber or no, man, sail. I yeah, I should have gone first. Cause I was, uh, <laughs> I was, I was able to get into, well, I didn't, I didn't do yeah. any of these things. I think that's important <laughs> to know. It could all be fake. Still, yeah. yeah. I, I was able to get into comics without moving all over the South or considering the priesthood or the army. So uh, <laughs> my story is, my story is going to be boring. Um, I don't know. I, uh, I came up in the nineties when there just weren't really a lot of opportunities going on in comics. The market was really depressed. You know, even a lot of real veterans were having trouble finding work. Uh, so like a lot of, I'm a little bit older than Chris, but you know, like a lot of people in my generation, I ended up sort of doing something else for a while. Uh, in my case, it was illustration. I built, uh, I built a pretty good career as an illustrator, you know, commercial illustration in the, uh, in the nineties when I was in my twenties. And, uh, and that ended up being sort of the leverage I needed to get into comics. Uh, I, uh, I, on my, on my illustration website, just to kind of work out the comics itch, I started, um, doing a daily web strip. Uh, this was, you know, 12 years ago, year 2000, uh, you know, before everyone and their brother had a web strip. That's, that's pretty bleeding edge. Yeah. Uh, so it was, uh, you know, it was, you know, me and about a dozen other guys doing web comics. Um, and I, I didn't even do mine for very long. It was maybe only just a few months, but it was long enough to attract a bit of a readership, which included, uh, Jay Torres, who is, you know, I'm sure known to your audience is a fairly well-known mm -hmm. comics writer. Um, he was reading my stuff and, uh, you know, gotten, you know, we started communicating via email and stuff. He had a project 
that was probably going to go at Oni, which ended up being our first graphic novel we did together called Days Like This. Uh, so yeah, after you know a decade of trying to get into comics and failing just as a fluke because of this web comic I started doing, uh, you know, an opportunity came to me. Um, conveniently, the uh, editor in chief at Oni in those days was Jamie Rich who I had sent a bunch of samples to back when he was the submissions editor at Dark Horse. So he remembered me, and, you know, the deal ended up really being quite easy to put together. So Jay and I did that first book together. That worked really well. We did a second book together called Scandalous, which didn't sell very well, and not a lot of people remember, but I'm still... I, I liked Scandalous. I, I, I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's got a, it's got a very small but diehard audience, that book. Yeah. <laughs> I still sell copies of it from time <laughs> that's, to time. That's every comic book at this point. Yeah, pretty much, pretty <laughs> much. So, uh, yeah, and from there, you know, after I'd done a couple of books as an artist with Oni, I started feeling confident enough to pitch my own stuff, which is sort of what I always wanted to do. Uh, the first thing I pitched them was Northwest Passage. And, uh, yeah, that ended up, you know, that ended up, I, I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I mean, it was this huge story with a dozen major characters and, 300 pages long and you know it was a you know for a first for a first kick at the go as a as a you know writer artist uh, it was a it was a hell of a project to to tackle uh but I tackled it <laughs> and uh, that turned out really well i mean uh you know it uh, it didn't make me a millionaire or anything but it uh it certainly uh got some attention got me enough attention that i really haven't had to look for work since uh you know people People after that, especially in 2007, after the collected edition of Northwest Passage came out, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, called me up and said, so what would you like to do next? Uh, which is sort of I'm still I'm still digging my way out of the amount of work I talked myself into uh, in, in the summer of 2007. That's that's just, what was your what was your goal I guess originally when you said you were, you were kicking around at the sides trying to break in for for quite a while what did you want to do because yeah, the style that I've seen out of you isn't isn't necessarily a, a mainstream style and I'd say that comics really only started opening up to different genres and styles I guess sort of at the beginning of the two thousands so you know what was your what was your sort of uh, plan with that Yeah I mean. Like a lot of people growing up, I thought I was going to grow up and draw the X-Men or something. Um, you know, because I wasn't able to break in right away, I never sort of got that Marvel and DC training of, you know, where you break in in your early 20s and, you know, they, they sort of get out the whip in the chair and conform you to their, to their styles. Uh, you know, I was off in commercial illustration developing my own style to a certain extent. So... Um, yeah, I mean, by the time, I, I mean, I thought I had missed it. I thought, you know, in the 90s when there was so little going on, I thought, you know, I'd come along at just the wrong time entirely. But like you say, when the early 2000s came along and the, the library market opened up and the, and the chain bookstores opened up and the school markets opened up and, and uh, you know, the graphic novel format became such a big deal, uh, suddenly it seemed like I'd come along at exactly the right time. Mm -hmm. You know, because by that point in my life, I mean, I was nearly 30 and I, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to go off and draw Spider-Man. I wanted to, you know, uh, my hero has always been Will Eisner. I, I always thought, you know, his career path was, you know, in terms of owning your own stuff, doing, you know, really well-crafted story-driven material, 
you know, was, was the way to go. That's who I wanted to be. And fortunately the market, uh, you know, has changed to allow me to, to be that, or at least as, as close to it as I can possibly get. Cool. Now, now Chris, you, I mean, you've got a, I, I love to use this term, but, uh, the, the, it's a cartoony style. Yeah. Which which I don't I don't think is a bad thing. I just sometimes wish there was a better word I, for it. You both well, do. I, I think the uh the 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 problem with that is that it it, it covers so much. Too much. Sometimes when you think cartoony style, you think Garfield. But mm-hmm. you know, I also think Guy Davis has a really cartoony style. Yeah. You know, Jordy Bernet has a really cartoony style. I think there's a there's a range of cartooniness. Um and I, I think it can be I think it can go in in two different ways. One, either the the degree of expression to which the 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 movement and the characters uh, behave, the emotions are not necessarily realistic emotions. The movements are not necessarily realistic movements, but they they are so evocative of the movements that that they become more so than a more naturalistic yeah. depiction. Um, and I think that's where like Brene and and Davis fall into play. Um, and then slickness of line and i think that both scott and i sort of fall into that too well when you when um, you got started was I guess, i'm guessing it wasn't too much of a concern you just you know i'm going to do my book and this is what it's going to look like and that's a thing as opposed to say five ten years earlier than that there would have been i guess a lot more concerns about with saleability of something like that but were you thinking about it i i i wasn't really and that and and a big that's one of the big reasons why i got so enthusiastic about comics is that i had kind of thought of them as not really I guess being a possibility outside of the newspaper strips. Um, I was, you know, one of those people who, who for some reason thought that, you know, 2006 is a good time to get into the newspaper game. Um, <laughs> so, uh, the, uh, so yeah, so seeing, uh, basically all these graphic novels that showed that, that, uh, you know, more, you know, to a degree, realistic approach to to drawing was not a necessity, um, especially Scott's work. Like seeing seeing Scott's work um, amongst some of the other Oni tile titles was one of the reasons why I approached Oni about the the uh, the project. You know, they had a lot of these uh, these different sort of more genre leaning books. You know, they had romance stuff with Three Days in Europe. They had you know crime noir with uh with union station they had westerns with long haul um uh but scott's was the uh was the one that really seemed to be the type of you know very in a very similar vein to the type of stuff that i was wanting to do and seeing that that was out there sort of really helped give me the confidence to go ahead and do it knowing that there was precedent i think that's a big part of it yeah, I think a lot of it stems from, I mean, Chris and I both, uh, I mean, Chris is still publishing with Oni. I got my start with Oni. And I think a lot of it has to do with Oni. Um, and, and like I say, just sort of the timing uh, of, you know, the age I was when I began my career, nearly 30, where I, you know, I didn't necessarily want to, you know, be imitating anybody else. Um and also, you know, the time it was, I didn't really know my, I mean, when, when Jay approached me with this project and said, you know, it might be published by Oni, I didn't really know who they were. They'd only been around for a couple of years at that point. And I'd sort of been out of comics as a reader and a creator. Like I said, I'd kind of given up at that point. Um, so when we first uh, started talking, Oni sent me around a, uh, a package of some of the books they'd done. And I mean, they were all really great. But the one that really stood out for me was um, Andy Watson's Breakfast Afternoon. Yeah. 
which yeah, I'd never seen Andy's stuff before, but you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys both know what I'm talking about. It mm-hmm. is so, it is so stripped down, mm-hmm. so unconventional. Um, but, just, the, it, but at the same time, it's so, it was so relatable. It was, I, I'm, I remember being out of yeah. work when I read that and I was just like, yeah. wow. <laughs> yeah. It was a real revelation for me that, that, um, you know, Oni was a company that was, you know, willing to go that far off, off the beaten track. And, and, because it was my first book and I didn't know if I'd ever get a chance to do a second one. I, and, and I knew I had a publisher that was going to, you know, look like they would go with me wherever I wanted to take them. I just decided, you know, man, I'm, I'm going to do this book the way I want and, you know, everyone else be damned. And, uh, and so that's, that's the way I did it. I, I might not have done it that way with any other publisher. I might've been a bit more reserved and, and a little more concerned about what the, what the reaction was going to be, but with, uh, with only you're encouraged to take chances, which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, now, now you both, you know, neither of you guys went to school for, for doing comics, which is the thing you can do now. Um, no, I, I did. Oh, you did. I went, I went to grad school for it. Yeah. Right. Well, well, I guess by no, the time, but you said by the time that you started going to grad school, you started doing the thing, you know, you started doing, uh, yeah, yeah. The but, first Krogan's book. On, so. I, I should stress that, uh, while the, the, I guess the later half of grad school was really like, I guess, refining my style and refining the, the project and, and more than anything else, really learning how to teach. Uh, Sean Crystal was my sort of my mentor there. He does a lot of the the art for uh, for mostly Deadpool these days. Um, just fantastic guy and really helped to put me on the teaching path. But early on, um there was a lot that I had just sort of innately picked up and that I think I had a natural inclination for, but there were a lot of like technical things and, and page readability and composition that they, that, that he taught me and Nolan Woodard, um, taught me basically everything that I know digitally. He, he does up most of the, the coloring and a lot of the design stuff for Mark Wade's new stuff. Um, and, uh, he, between the two of them, like it really made a, a substantial impact early on. Now that that impact was over the course of probably about six months, and after that, it was just refining. But it, it was hugely influential to me. It really was. So that's where you sort of learned the, the how to how to make comics, the storytelling, yeah, the yeah. mechanics of it. Scott, where did you where did you pick it up? I mean, uh, was as you were just going along, you were teaching it and studying it yourself, or yeah. Uh- this is another thing Chris and I have in common is I teach also not not to the extent that he does, but I teach a class um, in writing for graphic novels at Max the Mutt, uh, a private animation college in Toronto. Um, I actually took over. Well, I say I took over a class from Ty Templeton, but um, he uh, I, I actually sort of created my own class. He, you know, after he departed, I didn't really take over his class. But um, so, you know, yeah, that's that's another thing we have in common right there. But in terms of my own education, um, you know, coming up 20 years ago, like you say, I mean, there was the Kubert School and, and, and that was about it. Uh, but I knew what I wanted to do. So I sort of put myself together in education in comics. I had a high school art teacher who really stressed life drawing, which uh, w- was fantastic. That, that got me off on a really good start. I did a year of fine arts at university, uh, then sort of decided, you know, painting and sculpting and, and stuff wasn't really for me. Uh, so I switched my major to film and got, you know, a lot of that visual storytelling theory that you get from studying film. Then after university, I did a year of uh, I did a year of animation at Sheridan College up here in uh, Toronto, which is a really well-known animation school up here. 
And, uh, you know, along the way, I also just took as much as I could in terms of, you know, uh, English literature, English writing, acting, psychology, you know, anything, anything I thought I was going to need. I, I think people probably like my parents probably thought I was nuts, you know, but they probably thought I just couldn't concentrate on any one thing. But I was, you know, going along sort of acquiring the, the skills that I knew I was going to need to do comics. You seem to be the that, most the most trained man in comics, I think. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> Scott, that's a that I, I think I, I think a lot of people underestimate how helpful that that sort of wider study net can be in college. I, I sort of had I, I changed my major like six times, um, sort of similarly doing doing theater and doing film and then doing English and history and then uh, eventually ending up with graphic design. But every single one of those informs what you do, you know, I mean, it yeah, really, absolutely. Yeah. it really does. And I think that that's one of the things that, although I, I love being in a position where, where I'm able to help these kids, you know, who, who know what they want to do and are really focused in it and, and want to get as good as possible. Um, I, I think that one of the, the, the negative sides of that, that focused study program is that there is, there are far fewer opportunities to, explore um those those alternative disciplines that will better your your work down the road um i don't think yeah yeah, Yeah. there's i I was freaked out i was in the writing class and i found out that there's not a uh in the the general curriculum while they do have a lot of stuff like they have to take you know like a a social sciences class like being psychology or sociology or something like that and a, a number of things in that vein they do not have a required um i guess humanities slash literature course you know they they never read yeah. chaucer they never read you know uh you know the uh harlem renaissance they never read anything that that i i bring up in class as examples and then you know every once in a while i'll see a blank stare and i'm like you guys have 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 all read this right and <laughs> right. you know one yeah. one kid you know the overachiever in high school raises her hand and like everybody <laughs> else is you know the, the the tracy flick um and everybody else is just you know sort of hanging their heads in shame and it, it, that that so that that does kind of concern me um that is i think one of the the only real negatives of the the comics program for the the eventual making of comics is that you don't have that freedom of exploration yeah i agree i mean a lot of people over the years have asked me why i never went to art school i mean you know with all the education i have i you know there's not an art school in there anywhere and and, uh, and, and my answer was always just, you know, I, I know how to draw, <laughs> you know, I don't know everything else, you know, and you, <laughs> you, you, you know, you've got to write about something, you know? Yeah. You, yeah. yeah you, you need to, you know, it's one thing to know how to write, but I mean, you know, so many comics are sort of, you know, rehashed versions of other comics, you know, you need to oh, have yeah. read, you need to re- read stuff. You need to know things. You need to travel. You need yeah. to, yeah. there there's and it's like also said, not it, yeah. just not just for the sake of your own comics and your own development, although I think that's a big part of it. But I mean, every single editor is incredibly well read, and I have not met one who does not also expect you to be incredibly well read. Exactly. Um, so yeah. just from the the, stand, the the standpoint of working, there is an expectation in the industry that that you know, you are a well-rounded and well-read person unless you prove yourself otherwise and you don't want to prove yourself otherwise. Um, so I think that's an important, an important part of things. Comics needs more intellectuals. 
is uh, I think the uh, and and I think that's becoming true. There, I think it's I yeah. think it's gaining. I think it's gaining a lot of intellectuals. But well, uh, there's a the book more, that the more I, the merrier. I, I think it's going to blow your mind. That's coming out. I think in October, Scott. It is the the darkest, most horrible thing to read in the world. But it's also, I think, one of the the best examples of comics as a, a mature and literary art form um, that I've ever seen is Chris. It's a, a book by this guy, Chris Wright, who um, I met through mutual friends who had gone to school with him. Uh, and it's called black lung. It's coming out from Fantagraphics, but it's, it's, uh, I think you're going to like it sort of for that same reason. It's this very like sort of Joseph Conrad, Cormac McCarthy type of thing, but with pirates, uh, <laughs> not, awesome. <laughs> it's 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 the least yeah. fun pirate story that has ever been made, <laughs> but it's incredible and it's so nuanced and there's all the symbolism in this non-literal drawing and lots of literal drawing and the mark making. It's just it, it's but I, I think that it's it's one of those things that, you know, make me makes me feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing baby Huey comics. <laughs> um, but it's uh, but but I do. I think you're you're seeing more and more of what you're saying of these these sort of like intellectual approaches to things that aren't what we've had in the past. I think a lot of times what we've had in the past are when we do have intellectual comics, they're so hung up on their own sort of idiosyncrasies that they become very uh, inaccessible and and also very sort of self indulgent. And I think that that we're on the cusp of starting to see more and more of these that are uh, very narrative based and sort of divorced from the fact that they're doing something clever and just are clever by nature. And, and I'm excited about that. Yeah. It's a really exciting time. I, so many people are so down on, on comics now and I, I have no idea why it's certainly the most exciting time I can remember in comics. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've heard someone talk about that black, but it might've been you talking about that black lung book when it, you were It here. might be to, yeah. <laughs> to my, to my knowledge, like we, he, he, yeah. uh, he, yeah, I had, I had, uh, asked him, I was citing it in a paper cause I had seen some pages from it a while back. Um, and I asked him if he would send me an image from it and he sent me a PDF, uh, of the whole book that was just like, just pick whatever you want. Um, uh, you know, I think my brother has read this at this point. So I think I got to be like the second person that read it. I assume everybody is fanographics has read it now, but I felt very, uh, very special getting to be one of the, the early readers of that one. So I, I don't know if at this point you would have heard of it from anybody else, but I imagine it's going to sort of sweep was- the, uh, sweep the, <laughs> the world soon. Right. Everyone will be hearing about it soon. Actually, it's probably one of those, and I, 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 you know, don't want to say this to to lash out the thing. It's probably one of those books that like ninety nine percent percent of people who read it are going to absolutely hate it. But I, I just really, <laughs> I really think it's incredible. It is a very, it is a very difficult read, but I, I think it's a really worthwhile read. Cool, uh, Chris. Now you, you know, you said you were reading, and you just decided like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. I want to make comics. Was there, a, was there a book? Was there a, a like a specific turning point? Something you read where you, where a light clicked on, or, or even just a series of a couple of things yeah, that, that really inspired it, you? It's a, a couple of things. I, uh, I basically discovered a, a few web comics. Um, uh, Player versus Player was one of the first web comics that I had seen. 
as a result of doing like an image search for Indiana Jones at some point and like a, an indie themed uh, player versus player came up. And from, from there, I, I just, you know, would type in like web comics. And I think it brought me to web comics nation or one of those little collectives that existed, you know, back in the mid, mid two thousands when, when web comic collectives were, were the thing. Um, and, uh, I found Raina Telgemeier's stuff and, uh, she had, a, on her website, a number of very short stories, uh, one of which I think was called Beginnings. And it was basically about her at age, you know, eight or nine reading the first volume of Barefoot Gin. And uh, it, it was three pages and it was an entire story. And that was something that I had not seen before. Um, I know anybody who's, you know, really entrenched in comics and especially indie comics has read all sorts of anthologies where there are tons of three page comics and things like that. But this to me was entirely new. Like I hadn't, I, I, I knew you could do strips. I knew you could do, you know, graphic novels. It never occurred to me that you could do incredibly short stories. Um, and, Above, and, and make them engaging and make them uh, exciting. I don't, you know, I haven't reread it in a while. I don't know how well it holds up. I think that a lot of made in college autobiography doesn't age well, but I, I feel like it probably would if she still has it on her site. It's, it's worth checking out. Um, but the. Uh, um, and whatever happened to her, right? Where, yeah, is, yeah. Where, where is she now? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the. Uh, but but at the top of it, it said a you know it, there there was a little note that said this was published in one of my mini comics, and I thought mini comics you know what what's a mini comic, and immediately I knew what it was having never seen one I was like <laughs> it's something you print and on the front and back and fold and staple yourself and give out to people, and I was like that's an insane idea like I had never considered that so I set out to do my own and I drew it like that day um, ironically literally at the very end of the mini comic movement. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, mine was the last one. Sorry, guys. Um, but yeah, but I, uh, but but I, I did this this one story, and I, I made it up, and I was really excited about it, and and I showed it to my dad, um, and it, it wasn't at this point I hadn't really fixed on the idea of comics as a career. It was something that, or or I had done it, but I approached it the same way I approached music and and film and everything else, which is a all make stuff you know without really all that much thought to it and put it out into the world and somebody might see it and think it's fantastic and offer me tons of money to do more which i don't think is really how the world works at all um but uh but um i had yeah i had shown it to my dad and he told me you know he said something like you know this you should you should do this professionally. Um, and that was a huge, huge, huge thing for me because um, it's not to say my parents haven't always been supportive. They've always been very supportive of me. But um, my dad is a is very much a realist um, and more so when it comes to the arts. Uh, he's he's a, uh, a music composer. Um, and, and over the past 15 years has, has also become a mystery novelist. And now I think his novel money or novel income exceeds his composing income. Um, but, uh, but he, you know, he always did that. And, you know, so I always grew up seeing people working in the arts, both him and his friends, and also seeing that, you know, they put in 12 hour work days. Um, it wasn't ever, you know, done like a hobby there. There wasn't ever that, Oh, I have to wait for the muse to settle on my shoulders. Um, and so, 
but he's he you know has always been on me like you know if I'd be out of college for literally like a minute and a half spring break Christmas whatever else if I didn't already have like two jobs lined up he would just be all over me and so um, anyway the the idea that he thought this a viable career option um, sort of opened it up to me in a way that it hadn't before I never really clicked to me that this could be a real thing. And as soon as he said that, I was like, you, you know, this could be a real thing. And so I started like wholeheartedly looking into it, pursuing it, seeing what I needed to do to uh, to make it happen. So that was sort of the big catalyst for me, I guess. How long were you uh, kicking around uh, the Krogan's books before you you'd sort of had to deal with Oni? How many um, people did you go to? I had probably – I didn't go to anybody else. Um, I uh, I had – had the the family tree idea i'd say probably a couple months before the the comics thing sort of solidified in my head um and at the time again i i you know there's the chance that i might do kids books or animation or or who knows what and so it it was an idea as to something that i would like and the idea that it would be a graphic novel series was one of many but not really one that i actively developed um but it sort of was on hiatus until I went to that SPX where I met Scott um, because that, you know, I went in specifically that my, my main people that I wanted to see at that show were Oni, um, uh, were, were the Oni folks. Um, uh, Sean, who, who I earlier mentioned, you know, told me to keep an eye out for James. He said he looks like a big orange bear. Um, <laughs> so that he'd be easy to spot. There he is. Yeah, yeah. And so I went there. I I uh, I wanted to keep my eyes peeled for him. I wanted to keep my eyes peeled for Scott. And uh, sort of during that show, I picked up a ton of Oni books and looked through. And I and that sort of cemented what I already thought, which is that that would be my ideal publisher. Um, not so much because they were necessarily doing the types of stories that I wanted to. I mean, like Scott. They had a historical adventure with Scott, but it was very specific historical adventure. I wanted to do, you know, who knows what, you know, I wanted to do like a Western and a, and a spy and everything else. And one of the things that really cemented me to Oni is that not only did they do Scott stuff, but they also did, um, you know, like I said, they also did long haul. They also did romances. They did horrors. They did um, like teen comedy. Like they, they were doing mainstream genres um mainstream from the point of the world not so much mainstream from the point of comics and that just made me feel like they were the right choice that they had their head in the same place that i had my head um and so sort of at that show james saw some sketches and i gave him that mini comic that i had mentioned um uh, which later he told me that it was sort of on the, or he didn't tell me, he told one of my classes and I was sitting in there and I was like, oh, well, there you go. Um, but he told me that it was basically on the strength of that mini comic, what he liked about that mini comic that he made the Krogan deal. So that was good. Um, but the, uh, but yeah, basically, at, you know, before the end of the show, he said, hey, you know, when you get home, send me something. And I, I got back to school and I was like, Sean, what does that mean? What does send me something mean? He's like, that means you have an invitation to pitch so or to, to send stuff. So send stuff that you think you would like. So I sent a like a Royal Tenenbaums drawing because he had this Royal Tenenbaums sketchbook and the Krogan family tree. And that was it. Like no <laughs> no letter, no anything. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, <laughs> Scrambled so, in an envelope. Here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I put glitter in there, you know. Um, and uh, anyway, so I didn't hear anything for 
a few months. But at this point, I decided that, you know, hell or high water, I wanted to do this Krogan stuff. So um, I I started working on the, the pirate story. And then, you know, a few months later, I think it was in April um, of of the following year. I, I got a call from from James that just said, hey, um, OK, so we're thinking the pirate book first. And I was like, wait, huh? And like you you want to do this? And he's like, didn't anybody call you about that? And I was like, no. So um, <laughs> apparently they had put up the family tree like in the office and we're debating as to which book should go first and how it should be done and that sort of thing. Um, luckily, I think the family tree sort of explains my intent with the series itself so i didn't necessarily have to include a pitch um but they had already decided to do it well before i actually sent a pitch or sample pages which is good because my sample pages were awful um but yeah like we so we were talking and a luckily they they picked the one that i had already done like half of um and b uh he was like, oh, well, just, you know, send in a pitch, send in, you know, story outline and some sample pages and that sort of thing. So, um, but they had already, I think, decided well before I ever sent in the pitch that they were going to do it. So, um, so that was sort of, I, I had done other comic things. Like I did a 300 page rhyming mini comic, um, in the meantime that I think definitely helped me work through some artistic stuff to where I was stronger by the time I got to Vengeance. I don't think I was... <laughs> good yeah, just, just at all I, I got 300 pages did you yeah just, well, uh, yeah well i mean it was uh, it basically like Vin, i don't think i really hit my my stride artistically until about two-thirds through vengeance and then i think it starts feeling the way i wanted it to and i'm still definitely not where i want to be i'm still developing with each book but i think that's where it's okay to stop being ashamed right. uh, <laughs> so i don't know so yeah so that's so 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 it just sort of it just sort of came out of that like it was the the Krogan stuff was the first real thing that I wanted to do and and I'm I'm lucky in that it's something that I can see myself wanting to do forever. Uh, cool. That's that's a lot of certainty that I've never been able to have. <laughs> um Scott when you you know when you started off with Northwest Passage you know you said you didn't really know what you're doing it was it was like a, it was a big thing. I mean, were you, how how much did you have it planned, or how much were you flying by the seat of your pants? Because it doesn't feel like you were flying by the seat of your pants to read it. Well, I my my writing style is a real combination of planning and improvisation. You know, I I, I outline to a certain extent, but I always leave a lot of room to discover things along the way. Um, and it, it just kind of tends to work for me. I know, I mean, I know people who outline really strictly and I know people who don't outline at all. They just kind of start at page one and start writing uh, a, a mix works for me. And, you know, I've just kind of, that's the way I was on that first book. And that's basically the way I've been ever since. Um, it was, it was weird working on that though, because I, um, I didn't know whether anyone was going to read it. You know, uh, it wasn't until Chester Brown's Louis Riel graphic novel came out, uh, which was I was about halfway through Northwest Passage when that came out. And suddenly I realized, oh, OK, like this is I mean, it, it's, it's a very different book from what my book ended up being. But, uh, you know, history comics had been the kiss of death for a long. I mean, when I first got into comics, if you were pitching someone a historical story. Uh, you know, you'd get laughed out of somebody's office, uh, which is it's which is funny to think about now, 10 years later, when 
history comics are kind of a thing, you know, because of Chester Brown and, you know, because of what I do and what Chris is doing. And, and so many people are doing that now that it's a, it's a genre in itself. Um, Gene Yang's doing one that I think is going to be really neat, but it it won't be finished for like another, like, you know, who knows how many years. So we're, we're safe for a while, (laughs) but it's, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, that that was the real. Not only did it was it the first thing I was writing, and just in terms of technical, uh, you know, stuff. Not really knowing what I was doing, I, I was just really not particularly confident that I was writing something anyone was going to want to read, other than myself. I was writing the ultimate comic for me to read, which I think is what you really should do anyway. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think honestly, like I think everybody, like all the best stuff is that, you know, Bone is Jeff Smith's ideal comic, you know, Usagi is Stan Sakai's ideal comic. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean like that, that's, I think that's, that's the best thing to, to set out with, you know, I mean, every Krogan book that I do is, is what I'm interested in at the time. And it's what, if, if I weren't doing it, this would be the book that if I walked into a comic shop or bookstore, this would be my first choice. Um, I try to make it that, that project. There's so much cynical contrived stuff out there that, you know, you gotta, like, like we say, you gotta just write the books you want to read. Yep. Well, it's interesting because you guys both have books that, um, they don't feel they're not, they're not dark. I guess for, I mean, to a certain extent, you know, Scott, you get a World War II book, and that was, you know, there's dark things about it, but they don't, they don't tend to feel heavy and depressing. I guess is anything like that. So, um, I mean, was that a, is that just a, an aspect of your personality and the kind of stuff that you want to do, or, or were you sort of, I, you know, I, I feel I want to do this kind of comic because there aren't enough of them, or something like that. I think it's either yeah, of you, it's, Scott. It's probably, ju- it's probably just an extension of sort of who we are and, and again, the kind of books we want to read. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Two Generals. One of the number one things people want to walk up and tell me about Two Generals when, you know, I'm doing appearances and stuff is, you know, is they're surprised how much humor there was in it. Uh, you know, there's, you know, there's a couple of good laughs. You know, it's not a terribly long book. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, horrible stuff with, you know, limbs being blown off and, and stuff. But, you know, there are a couple of good laughs in it, which always take people by surprise. But that's, to me, with that book, I wanted to capture the entire range of the experience. I wanted to capture the, you know, entirety of it. And that's, and that's part of men under pressure. You know, that's uh, something that, ha- and, and something that happens, in, I mean, war is nothing if not absurd. Uh, so, you know, that, uh, you know, that just naturally came out of, you know, my grandfather's diary and, and Jack's letters and, and all of the sources that informed the book. Did you have more of a, a, a solidified plan for that book when you started it than say, you know, well, I guess what we were just talking about, but it, it feels like you would have, uh, like you, you put a little more, I guess, uh, of, uh, a planning into it, I guess. Uh, if anything, the opposite. Really? Because because it's nonfiction, I mean, I really went into it with the idea that, okay, I'm going to try to reconstruct my grandfather's wartime experiences as closely as I can without really knowing in any sort of detail uh, what those experiences entailed. So the uh, very much, I mean, there was no outline at first. Uh, really, when you're doing nonfiction, the, the research dictates dictates the content, you know, you're kind of constantly putting together an outline as new research surfaces. It was, uh, 
if there was ever a book where I was flying by the seat of my pants, it's that one. Now, does does the did working on two generals did that did that I guess bring you? I, I assume your grandfather has passed away. Yes, he died in 1997. Okay. So. Did did this did this uh, I guess bring you closer to him? You know, in spirit, did it did it change your your memories of him? Did it did it alter your your I guess what you would think of as your relationship with him? Um. Not particularly, I don't think. I mean, we were we were close. Uh, you know, I grew up in the same town. Uh, I was 25 when he died, so you know, we had a relationship as adults. Um, it, you know, if anything, it just gave me more respect for what he'd been through. I mean, gotcha. we kind of knew. Well, I mean, we in the family kind of knew the broad strokes of what he'd been through, but you know, for three years at the desk, 80 or 90 hours a week working on that book, I you know, I had to go at least you know mentally some of the places where he had to go and yeah. uh and it was a it was a difficult three years and and uh, i mean if uh i mean you know nothing nothing compared to fighting a war of course but uh, it certainly gave me you know I, I spent a good long portion of my life putting myself in his shoes and and uh you know no, nothing will make you respect someone like like doing that yeah at the end of it um you know were you were you, were you satisfied with what you got out of it that's a big glad, question. I was, I was glad when it was over. I mean, like I said, I had to go some pretty dark places. And uh, and it was – I mean, I thought that book was going to take me about a year and a half, like one of my normal books would. Like I said, it ended up taking three years and, and you know, working awfully long hours. And and I was exhausted mentally and physically. And, you know, my, my wife was happy to have her husband back. And my, my kids were happy to have their father back. And uh, it was a big relief when it was done. I mean, it was a huge weight that came off. I, I don't know. I don't know if I really have any perspective on it. Like still a year and a half after it's come out. I, I, uh, I don't know. I, it, I, I'm glad I did it, but like I say, I'm, I was happy when it was over. Yeah. Now, uh, Chris, how long are you? Uh, I mean, uh, you've got, you've got a bunch of Mark Rogan books. We got to go through that whole I'm, family tree. My, my thought is doing them till I'm dead. Um, <laughs> Honestly, like the 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 thing with the Krogan stuff is that I uh, from the very minute that the family tree started coming together, which just sort of it started coming together as the idea of the series started to formulate um, really over the course of one day. And instantly I realized sort of what I had there logistically and how lucky I was because, you know, I, I if you think about like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, like basically, you know, enjoyed doing Sherlock Holmes and, you know, did Sherlock Holmes. But what he really wanted to do was these historical romance epics. And uh, and basically the public and the publishers clamoring for so much Sherlock Holmes put him to where he felt trapped by that character. And I know, you know, there are a lot of comic people that feel the same way. You know, they're trapped by their their you know, something that they work to get popular and then they want to do something else. And the, the thing about Krogan's is it, it's always something else. It's, um, while it's within the same framework, um, just my sensibilities and, and whatever else, you know, I can't, there, there's little to nothing that I cannot shoehorn into the framework of that series, you know, uh, spy story romance, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It'll, it fits into that. Um, you know, if I, if, and, and I've made this, uh, sort of biography sheet of, 
of all the, the, the characters, you know, where they are at, at different stages in their life. And so if I want to do like a teen spy buster or a boy detective or whatever else, like I have all of those worked in. Um, and so basically, uh, really, uh, and because, you know, the characters do go over a certain age, I could do multiple books for each character if I wanted to, you know, at, at different ages and at different stages. And the, the only real concern is making sure that they are strikingly different from each other, that I don't end up being repetitious, that it doesn't fall into a formula or pattern. I think as long as I keep that at the forefront of my mind, it'll be, it'll be fine. But, but really I, I hope to keep doing them until I either die or can't hold a pencil anymore. Um, and I, I, I hope that the former comes before the latter, because I think the idea of not drawing is just, terrifying to me um although i do hope that's you know good 65 years from now uh but uh but but yeah you know my my if i can finish 25 books before i die that would be that would be great are you tied to i mean so i assume that you're you're comfortable with and like saying staying in sort of the realm of quote-unquote reality you know where, where your, your your stories more or less take place in the real world is not a fantasy element or they do yeah you know, and, and, they're, and they're history based and as a general rule the the only fantasy and science fiction stuff that I, I really gravitate towards is the stuff that is pretty rooted. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, like I, I enjoyed the game of Thrones show so far because, you know, there, there's pretty much no fantasy elements. You know, I like it way more than I liked Lord of the Rings. I know there's dragons later and that sort of thing, but, um, and maybe zombies or something. There's a zombie uh, right at the beginning. You forget that. I know, I know, but, but on the whole, it's sort of, that's, that's the stuff that I, I tend to, to, to like it's just you know the, the the science fiction and fantasy is just not where my my interests lie as much i'm i'm not adverse to them and i'll i'll enjoy a well crafted one but it's never been something that i felt compelled to write the way that i do the other genres um and so if if i wanted to do something additional you know there are options for that i'm i'm currently writing a uh a sort of he-manish type of thing um right now that uh that somebody else is doing the art for but in terms of books that i'm gonna pursue wholeheartedly you know start to finish me doing the writing me doing the art all of that um i feel like at this point probably it's just going to be krogan's i've toyed around with the idea of doing other stuff and now uh as i get more entrenched in it the more enthusiastic and the more passionate i get about it now now scott you've sort of gone the other way when you got to the end of two generals uh you're doing this sort of the Three Thieves is sort of an all-ages fantasy, uh, very big series of books to be committed to, actually. Um, was that just was that just a reaction to uh, you want to do something else that's fun? Yeah, partly, partly yes. I mean, um, one of the reasons I did Northwest Passage was that my first two books, Days Like This and Scandalous, were both set sort of mid-20th century, and I, I sort of didn't want to be the... Uh, guy who drew comics about the 50s mm-hmm. so i which you your know, style I, sort of lends itself to thinking that that could be the case yeah it does and i mean that you know that was a good you know introduction to the business for me but i, I wanted to sort of break that pattern uh with my third book so that's one of the reasons why I, I pitched something that was even more historical you know it was the 1750s um <laughs> and then you know after that obviously a lot of uh you know historical stuff i went back to the 20th century with two generals um, and yeah, I just, I mean, I love history, uh, but I really wanted to, you know, not get painted in the corner of being, you know, that guy who does the history comics. 
Um, and, and the other thing that happened was that I had two kids. And when I was a kid, I mean, I really have not generally as an adult been into fantasy stuff either, but I loved it when I was a kid. And I found once my kids got old enough to start reading, um, I really rediscovered what I liked about that kind of storytelling, you know, for that age. So I really wanted that. The whole reason the Three Thieves books came around is my older son, Miles, got the Fisher Price Castle for Christmas. Oh. Um, and he asked, Daddy, can you write a story with a castle in it? And <laughs> because I'm an idiot, this turned into this seven book, <laughs> you know, this turned into this seven book saga. Yeah, I don't know if you, I don't know if you were listening, but earlier Chris mentioned there's these three page stories that you can do. Right, right. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be the way I operate. Yeah. All in. No, I know. There, there's, uh, yeah, basically, it, it's hard to refuse your kids, though. Penny, uh, I, I got the the new book in the mail, and like Penny was like, "What's that, Daddy?" And I was like, "It's a." Uh, my daughter's about two and a half, and I, I was I was like, "It's, it's a new book. I made it." And she's like, "Is it a dragon book?" And I said, "No, it's not a not a dragon book." Um, so. Yeah, don't don't worry. I'm not going to do a fantasy thing now. Krogan's Dragons coming up next. Watch. <laughs> but I, I have thought about doing like a little a little kid like picture book type of thing. Um, that's that's like little girl dragon wrangler. Um, uh, but yeah, it would cap at like 24 pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't do seven books. That's yeah. just. Uh, that's I need just to see dope. if the if the because because uh, Torres did did one of those board books recently, right? For Oni. Sure. I don't. Like I don't follow his career. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, like I, I I I think they were doing that sort of to see how they how they go. So if it if it goes well, I may pitch that to them. So James, if you're listening, Little Girl Dragon Wrangler, it's a sure Woo. comic hit. Nice. It's right on the zeitgeist. Um, I guess to, that wasn't that wasn't sarcastic, but it sounded like it was. Sorry. Um, <laughs> dragons really are in the zeitgeist. Um, I had no idea. Game of Thrones is a big deal. Sarcastic. I have to do that. I have to do that a lot. Where I'll say something and then have to go. I'm not being. We come from a generation where you have to explain you're not being well, sarcastic. I was being sarcastic when I said a surefire hit. I can't imagine anything selling less. But, you're combining you know, two genres. Yeah. That are, know, that are hey, big. Hey, Dinosaur Train is the greatest idea that I've ever heard. <laughs> oh. So like, yes, so I'm is. yeah, so I'm I'm sold on those genre combos for little kids. <laughs> um, I've been sarcastic since the minute I sat down. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't even. I've tried to get rid of it. Well into my 30s, I think I've almost been able to. I'm almost able to work without it. Um, <laughs> even that sounded sarcastic. Real question. Um, now we've talked about it. you guys have both worked uh, heavily in history. I've I've worked in stuff that that's been based in history, and I find that I like the idea of it ahead of time, uh, and then I find myself getting bogged down really easily trying to make sure everything's right. Uh, do, do you guys find that that that's a that's a thing that happened, Scott? You were you were the you were the first one to do it, I guess. When you, I mean, even your earlier books, if they were based in the fifties, um, you know, but sort of getting those details right. How do you how do you get around that problem, or, or have it not hold you up? Well, I. I like to get things as right as I can without getting in the way of storytelling, I guess is the way I like to put it. I mean, people, you know, people make fun of me all the time because I mean, in Northwest Passage, I mean, there's a lot of shots of the moon and I sort of use the moon like a clock in that book. And I've got timed out. I mean, how, how long it takes them to travel down which river and 
you know, what the moon phase would be. And it's, it's a little obsessive, uh, you know, I'll, I'll grant you, but it, you know, it's, it's part of what makes books like this feel convincing. Um, and I mean, there, but the, I mean, there are lots of examples. I mean, Chris is going to know who I'm talking about. The beard, the beard guy. There's this, there's this particular blogger. Oh yeah, on the beard guy. Oh, yeah, gosh, I've talked, I've talked name. about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I've talked about Bill, this. In, something in, Bill. Yeah. yeah. I've talked about this in other interviews because it's a good example of what I'm talking about. There's this guy who has a blog. He's basically like, he's like the historical beard cops. And uh, <laughs> it's like, you know, he, uh, he, he wrote, I don't know, he wrote something lengthy about one of your books, Chris, about how the beards were all wrong. And, and he did a huge blog post about Northwest Passage, about the character of Charles Lord, who's, you know, he's like, a, he's an English gentleman and, and how he would not in... 1755 be wearing a beard that that would be out of fashion and and that's fine you know i'm sure he's right i'm sure that's true you know i'm but, glad he's i'm glad Lord he's made that ass like he doesn't care about fashion well that's the thing that's my I mean, yeah 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 this, this character when you're designing a character i mean charles lord is supposed to look out of place in his waistcoat he's supposed to look he's an explorer who's been sort of forced into a desk job and He's not supposed to look like he's supposed to look like you put Grizzly Adams in a suit. You know, <laughs> he's not supposed to look comfortable in that in that costume. Um, so, you know, that's the whole I, the, the fact that it's wrong is kind of the whole idea. Uh, and that's where, to me, storytelling trumps historical accuracy. You know, I will get things as right as I can to be as convincing as possible. Um, but where there's a push and pull between you know, storytelling and historical veracity, storytelling wins every time for me. What, what I usually do in that, in those particular instances, and I, and I do like it when people point those out, um, because what I will do is I will stick by the, uh, the, I guess the storytelling gun or the design guns. Um, and you know, character will keep the beard or something like that, but I will deliberately draw attention to it in a way to disarm future arguments. So someone in the story will say, really a beard? Come on guy. It's not 1720. Um, you know, and, and he'll say, you know what? I like my beard shove off or whatever, just to, just to showcase that I am aware of the, the anachronism and, and, am am very quickly, casually, and dismissively uh, exercising it from from the reader's mind if they are aware of it, I guess. Um, so I do that. It doesn't happen often, but every once in a while. Um, or if there's a something that that I know to be a widely, I guess a a a wide public conception. You know, the Hessians being mercenaries, for example, in the new book is is one. Um, you know, I will. I will similarly draw attention to that. Somebody will mention the widespread public assumption. You know, contemporarily, um, and one of the characters can refute them and explain the the actual situation. Hopefully, in a way that doesn't feel forced, but again, to to dissuade people from being concerned. Because a lot of times, what you get are people that. Uh, in addition to the people who who know the the real stuff and point that out, are the people who learn something erroneous in history class or on the History Channel or whatever else, and will be like, "Oh, well, actually, this is the case when it's not." And so, if if I'm aware of those conceptions, I do try to bring them forward so that I can refute them. Um, but what you were talking about with the uh, Josh with the 
the making it, I guess, easier to, to work with. For me, it's all about doing the prep work ahead of time. Um, I immerse myself in the period as much as possible. I read every book I can get my hands on. I, I, uh, both nonfiction and also fiction set during the period. I, I watch every movie set in or related to that period. Um, sorry, might have to sneeze here. Excuse me. Yeah. Sorry. Allergy season <laughs> down in the South. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll, you know, if I can visit historical sites or something like that, I will. And hopefully by the time I do this, I don't have to reference anything. I'm not having to check anything. I know enough about that period that I can just sit down and write a story comfortably without it ever having to click with anything. Because I, I have enough of a sense of a, the period to know whether or not something is right innately. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I found that that is a, a really... While it's definitely uh, time heavy on the front end, you know, it takes about six or eight months to do the research, which I try to do while I'm in the act of working on a future book, although usually it doesn't pan out like that. Um, but then it really does make the following stuff move quickly and with the very minimal amount of headaches. Are you, uh, are you, a, do you script stuff ahead of time? Or I have do you not outline or? until this, this book. I, I outline very, I say very heavily. To me, very heavily is, a like a 10 or 12 page outline for a 200 page book. Um, I don't know if that's heavy across the board, but basically each scene explaining what happens in that scene, what information is given, that sort of thing, just so that I don't leave anything out and can foreshadow and set things up. Um, but I did a, I wrote a series of Krogan adventure radio dramas recently. Um, and in uh, there were six of them and I I was more pleased with the dialogue in those than I had been with anything else that I'd written and I decided that it was because I had been concentrating solely on the dialogue so with that in mind I am uh, actually while I'm not uh, doing any panel breakdowns or descriptions or anything in the script I am scripting out all of the dialogue for the new book ahead of time um, to see if I can achieve that same degree of satisfaction with it um, which I haven't ever done before. And I think that's going to speed things up because I usually do my dialogue as I'm thumbnailing a page the same day that I'm planning on penciling it. And that to me gets very frustrating because I'll be stumped for a certain area trying to work it out and the day will start to get past me and I'll, I'll end up very behind. So I think if I have the dialogue worked out, I'll be able to concentrate solely on the art and Hopefully it'll work out and it won't lose the spontaneity that the earlier ones had. So it's each each book I approach entirely differently from how, how I've done it before just to see what works and what doesn't. Um, so so I'm trying it this time for the first time. Scott, do you do you do you sort of do it as you go? I mean, you kind of said that, but I'm sort of looking through one of your books right now and, and at the dialogue, do you, do you tend to put it in sort of after the fact or as you're going? Or? No, I write. Uh, I actually write full script, oh, okay. which uh, some people are surprised by. I mean, uh, a lot of cartoonists don't. Kinda... Holy cow, Chris! <laughs> Sorry, I thought I turned away from the microphone. My bad. Yeah. No, that's uh, bodily functions right. for uh, for your your lovely listeners. Allergy season in the south. Yeah. The um. The <laughs> sorry. Uh, where was I? Full script. I write. I write full script. And. Uh, and here's why, is because, um, first of all, I mean, nice to be able to let an editor and a publisher know where you're going before you spend all that time doing all that drawing. 
Um, second of all, just for me personally, in terms of my own uh, process, I really like to have a go where I'm just thinking about story, getting plot, structure, theme, character, dialogue, like Chris says, worked out, where I'm just thinking about those things and not how to interpret it visually yet. When I get down to interpreting it visually, I may make a bunch of changes. So, but I, I, I do like to do have that first go through where, um, you know, it's just in a written form and I'm just thinking about story material. So when you say full script, does that uh, count the breaking it into panels at all or not? Because I, I will break it into panels just to help an editor visualize what I'm visualizing, but I'm by no means married to them when I start to draw. I think that I'm running out of questions. So, right. uh, uh, I, I did want to, uh, bring up if it's, if it's all right. Uh, while, while I was in, I was in Canada for the recording of those radio things and, and Scott and I met up and did sort of a, uh, a battlefield tour. I was going to ask you, actually, I was going to ask yeah. you about that. What, what is that and how did it come about? It was, uh, uh, I live about an hour and a half from Toronto. Uh, Chris, like he says, was in Toronto uh, for a couple of days for these recording sessions. Uh, I, I think you really only had maybe five hours or so at the end of your last day, but I, I picked him up and we went on this whirlwind tour down the Niagara Peninsula of uh, War of 1812 battle sites <laughs> that... Because uh, I didn't know enough about War of 1812s, except of, of, of course that we won. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, should, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we, we had a little arm wrestle you know about yeah, that yeah. he was like we burned the white house and he was like right. <laughs> all of these well, i think i think they, they they won in every possible sense of the word except for new orleans um after well after the fact which i i to be fair i was aware of but growing up yeah we are we are very much taught that we won the war of 1812 oh yeah which is which is foolishness the uh <laughs> The, uh, it, but it was, it, it was, uh, it was just the craziest thing. We did it so fast. Like I said, he only had a few hours at the end of his trip, but, uh, and I was sick as a dog, but, uh, you know, we, uh, yeah, you were, weren't you? Yeah. But we, you know, we broke into a few places. It was cool. Cause it's March in Canada. Not a lot is open. I mean, everyone's on their winter hours. Uh, Fort, uh, Fort George, historic Fort George was just kind of open. So we just went in. But there was nobody there. That was great. Like I, that was so much better than if anybody had been there. We just were able to walk around and look at all the armaments and the, the the fortifications and just take a bunch of pictures. It was it was fantastic. Yeah, it was cool. There was a all there was was a sign up across the gate saying no snowmobiles. Which Chris <laughs> thought Chris thought that was the most Canadian thing he'd ever seen. So, you know, because we weren't on snowmobiles, we just went in. <laughs> They trust you. Expect that there's this. In my mind, there's this expectation that they don't have to put up a trust, no trespassing sign because they assume that everyone's on snowmobiles, um, <laughs> and that one automatically precludes the other. Um, right. <laughs> but yeah, I was amazed yeah. at how I, I I know that that Canadians have a uh, a a reputation for being polite and and friendly, but Jiminy Christmas, like. I, I practically expected people to break out into song while I was there. I mean, like the bus drivers would like, like have a, have a great day. You know, like everybody was smiling, you know, like, I, I mean, it was, it was. And you're not from an impolite area. I mean, the, the South is fairly cordial. You, you would think so, but not compared to Toronto. Right. 
not by any stretch. Hamilton, they were a little gruffer in Hamilton, but uh, yeah. but but well, Toronto, yeah. I'm like yeah. it was like it was like the Emerald City. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, all of the historical nerdiness in comics was contained to my car for a few hours. <laughs> it was uh, it was, pretty, it was pretty fun. It was it was really neat. It was it was a lot of fun. We went to you know we went to a cemetery and we went to what uh, was purported to be a a I, I think a a national something like some sort of museum that was like a period tavern that was clearly not a period tavern and had been closed <laughs> for like six years, but was still yeah. on the, uh, the national registration or something. Um, yeah. but yeah, we went to the fort. We went to the, uh, the, uh, uh what's her name's house? Uh, now Laura, Laura Secord. Like, Secord. Yeah. 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 Um, it was, it was neat. It was a, uh, there was a lot packed into that very short amount of time. So are there any books coming out of that? Because you just did the Revolutionary War, so... I, I will. Well, we one, were, of, one of those characters is going to be in the War of 1812. <laughs> nice. We Actually, both, no, wait. We were, well, one of the we, characters' sons will be in the War of 1812. Sorry. We were both talking about on that road trip how it would have been a really good time to start a War of 1812 book about two years ago. This being the bicentennial and everything this year. Yeah, there's the huge yeah. deal's been made out of it so far. We'll, yeah. do it, we'll do it in 2062. That was sarcasm. Right. See, but, but in Canada, it's like in Canada where the War of 1812 is like the thing. It's like our war. You <laughs> you, you can't get away from it. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. And and it's just going to keep going. Yeah, come we, up here. We are barely aware of it. That's because we That's because if we, if we learn about it, we we realize that we didn't win. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we downplay that, that puppy. Yeah. That is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Come up here, and you'll hear all you want about the War of 1812. Right now, it's everywhere. Wow. Yeah. I see. I've learned something. That's good. It is the one. It is the one American war that I know the least about. I think. I think if I was had, to look at it, we them. we went to the one of my favorite battles, which I I cannot believe does not get used more in storytelling, is the Battle of Lundy's Lane. I took Chris to the Lundy's Lane battle site, which is in an old cemetery. It's a battle that took place in a cemetery in the fog at night. Just just guys sticking with each other in, in, with bayonets in this cemetery at night. It's it's the coolest thing. Yep. That's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, a uh, just a great location. Wasn't it Chris with like that big old tree and like Oh, these, it was it was these, it was fantastic. Yeah, Gorgeous. And I wrote down I, I yeah. wrote down so many of the headstone names for character names because they were just so good. Like, oh yeah, these great 17th and 18th century names on the every best. Song. Yeah, the best last last name I saw there was Misener. I'm like, that's golden. <laughs> I I stole that one. Um, <laughs> what do you yeah. think it is that that I, I I know I actually when I read nonfiction I'm I'm constantly reading history I find myself sort of reading World War II I find myself reading you know Civil War and sort of around the wars and 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 sort of you know if you, I read presidential books and I think one of the things that draws me to it is how I guess I guess you you project yourself in a, into it a little bit and think got it could I have even survived then would I've even made it and I know I wouldn't have because I would have had to have an appendectomy and I would have died but <laughs> I mean, what is what is the draw uh, for for you to sort of well, being attracted soda, to that? Soda made you have that appendectomy. Yeah, okay, that's probably true. Something <laughs> like that. You would have been, yeah. 
You, um, what, 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 what do you, is your question sort of what is the broader appeal? I, I'm, I'm curious because you're, you're both clearly interested uh, in reading history, which is, you know, in modern society getting, coming to be a, a little bit of a rarity. Uh, you know, what, what's, what's the draw for you? What is the, the thing? Have you, have you always been sort of attracted to just stories of the past? For me personally, it's uh, it's two things. It's inspiration for stuff to write about. It's stories, right? As I'm fond of saying, the word story is right there in the word history. You know, it's um, yeah, it's just cool stories, cool characters, cool settings, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, m- more specifically, what interests me is social history. It's about how people lived. Um, I was very clear, you know, when I was doing two generals, for instance, I was very clear that it wasn't really going to be a war book. You know, it doesn't have a lot of detailed information in it about how they took that town at the end. But it's more like what it was like for a person to live through it. When I was working on the book, I, I told people often that to me it would be largely the same book if my grandfather and his best friend had climbed Mount Everest and only one of them came home. You know, to me, to me, the story arc was you know, what the two of them went through. It wasn't, it wasn't the war specifically. I'm a guy and I like tanks and, you know, like <laughs> World War II stuff. But, uh, you know, what, what really interests me is, uh, is as I say, the, the, the social history, uh, the, you know, thinking about how different people lived in, in different time periods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, one of the things that I find, the most fascinating, you know, I, I granted, I love all the, the, the actiony stuff and the sword fights and that sort of thing. Um, but the, the thing that keeps me coming back, the thing that excites me is, are, are the parallels, um, that, that uh, when you realize that nothing has changed mm-hmm. or at least l- let me refer when you realize that human, that individuals have not changed, uh, the world has changed. And I, I think as a rule for the better, um, I, and I always argue with that with people who are like, you know, ah, it's not the same place it used to be. I'm like, I know it's better, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, the, but, but human nature, you know, it, it's people have been complaining about, you know, kids wearing their clothes stupid and being <laughs> disrespectful to their elders since there was one kid and one elder. Um, yes. you know, I mean like there's yeah. they just, just that sort of thing, you know, teenagers, you know, getting, you know, irritated with their parents and wanting to, you know, like whatever it might be, the, the, the human condition remains so universally consistent that it is a constant sort of, I guess, affirmation that to me that, that creates a very optimistic view of the future, that everything is going to be okay because we're still here and everybody's the same, you know, and that, that to me is always very exciting. And I know a lot of people read history with an entirely different and take the exact opposite away from it. But to me, that's what, that's one of the things that, that grabs me. Um, another thing is, I guess I've never really thought about it at length, but I guess I'd call it the, the, the star Wars connection. Like at some point when I was in like high school or college, uh, I was watching probably, I don't know, like a Northwest frontier India movie or something and realized that everything in star Wars is, history you know the tuscan raiders are like path and snipers the uh or push to snipers i think is the more correct term these days the uh you know the jedi or samurai the the 
X-Wing pilots or, you know, Battle of the Bulge guy or not Battle of the Bulge, Battle of Britain guys, you know, like whatever it might be. Um, and if all of that fun stuff that's in Star Wars is all history, then anything's history. And that's uh, and so any type of story that you would want to tell, looking at it from a storyteller's perspective, any type of story that you would want to tell can be told as a historical story, I think, for the most part. Cool. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I guess before I sign off, do you guys, uh, do you have any questions for each other or anything that you've, you've been wanting to talk about in terms of the work or, or, or you, you get that all out on your, on your historical whirlwind trip? I, w- I was going to say, I think we asked everything on the, on our, on our long drive. Um, yeah, that was a lot of driving, but, uh, yeah, it was good. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, uh, I got nothing. Oh, that's totally fine. I just wanted to make sure you, you had the you, chance. You know, uh, uh, a, a quick break discounting each other because of, of course we're each other's favorites. Um, uh, other, I, I guess, are there other comics that are historically set that you consider personal favorites? Actually, that's a question for both of you. I would say, Oh, uh, I was just, I was just uh, thinking of it. It's actually, um, have you ever read Alan's war? It, it's sort of similar I to. I still have not. It's been yeah. sitting on my bookshelf for a very long time. Um, you, you know, I avoided Alan's War the entire time I was working on Two Generals because yeah. I just didn't want to be influenced by it, and I'm ashamed to say that I still have not gotten around to it. Sorry, uh, guy who wrote Alan's War. Oh, he's um, French, so he won't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, par- oh man, I don't know. Sorry in French. Wow. Désolé. Uh... It's, I, I gotta say, it's not it's not going back terribly far in history, uh, just to the 30s and 40s. But uh, I've always had a soft spot for uh, uh, Will Eisner, of course, is is my hero. But uh, the Dreamer by Will Eisner. Yeah, that that one's about a lot. The, of fun. That one's a about, lot. Of fun. Yeah, it's about the early days of the comics industry and uh, and. Oh uh, yeah, you, you know. have the 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 stand-in for Fox, like walking around with a cigar, like yelling at everybody, like. Yes. Yeah. yeah there's some. There's there, there's a lot of good stuff in that. Uh, that that is the first one that jumps into my mind, and uh, I mean it's not. It wasn't really a historical thing for Eisner because he he lived through it, but uh, I guess it's historical for us. Hmm. Uh, one of the things, one of the the books that uh, that I really liked was sort of an off kilter uh, historical book. It was, I think, right when I was sort of going from reading mostly mainstream comics to sort of seeing what else was out there was uh, was uh, Stagger Lee um, by uh, Derek McCullough and, and Shepard Hendricks. Dang it, that is another one that I have bought and has been sitting on my shelf. It's uh. just there's nothing like it. It's this exploration of this this historical musical theme that I didn't know anything about, but is everywhere. Now that I know about it, I see, I've seen it constantly. Um, but that sort of goes through and, and um, explores the, all the myths and you, you can't really know the, the truth of it um, in a way that, that comics can almost do better than anything, and, which for music is actually sort of impressive, but I don't, you know, it, it might be disjointed as a, like, how would you represent all that stuff, say in a, you know, in a piece of film or, you know, something you'd have to use animation. Um, you know, and I would say like the first thing that really, that that really pushed me to say, you know, you can, you can do something, you know, comics can be this kind of thing, you know, is, is from hell, which is debatable uh, how, how historically accurate no. it is, but it's a, it's a yeah. giant. Yeah. That, that's one of my favorite comics. It's, actually. It's like, like I said, I don't, I don't know if it's good history, but it's great <laughs> comics. Yeah. I, I liked from hell and I'm sure that there is probably a nonfiction book from which it stems the same way that, you know, 
Da Vinci Code is is yeah. uh, you know blood cross what you call it. Um, yeah. But uh, but but there's a a it, it, I want to say it might be it's either seven percent solution or it's one of those mid seventies Sherlock Holmes pastiches. Um, they made a movie of it. Christopher Plummer and James Mason are in it. Um, yeah, but it's, I know the one. It's yeah. it's from hell. It's the exact same story, and it came out, and I was like, you know, it's already been fictionalized, and so I I sort of I I do wonder as to the 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 necessity of from hell's existence um, for that it, specific reason. It wraps so much of the history around the fiction that that it's interesting. It's um, yeah. It's. I, I think at some point in the introduction, he he says something about you know using the scalpel of fiction to dissect history and and you know or yeah. something something to that effect. And I think it's an interesting. Uh, I think that's an interesting description and a, as good a description as any of that of that book. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not I, knocking I it. it. I think it's a yeah. masterfully executed book. I just yeah, it just, wasn't until yeah. a few years later that I I read that and, and I read a bunch of those. Those yeah, those like sixties, seventies Sherlock Holmes stories, and uh, and then saw those movies, and I was like, this is. I mean, it was it was shocking how similar they were. Um, the whole the whole royal conspiracy thing around Jack the Ripper, you know, it, you know, isn't new. I mean, Alfred yeah, Moore yeah. didn't create it, but he did. He, I think what's interesting about that book for me is he brings you know all of the information about Jack the Ripper, the fictional and the non-fictional. And combines them into one story and makes them work together. Yeah, um, using, and, using, and you know the the nonfiction elements that are brutally real help sell the stuff that's a little, a little more fanciful. And uh, yeah, and from, yeah, I, I, from a craft ahead. standpoint, like he's using this combination of historical research, amateur historical research, really, but also like the language of mainstream comics, and with Eddie Campbell there, this sort of you know underground comics all at the same time in this in this giant work that, yeah. uh, you know, I think that was the, one of the first things that, that sort of blew me away in terms of just the scope of what a comic book can do. You can't deny its ambition, certainly. Yeah. No. Oh, no, and, and I don't yeah. deny its, its excellence. Oh, no. I don't. Yeah, I just, yeah, I just yeah. that, that was one thing it. that... that I, uh, I look at it like, um, I, I look at it like the movie JFK. Yes. Uh, fascinating that's movie, a, that's really... A, that's a very good, uh, I think, good... Comparison. Yeah, really entertaining. Yeah. And I, I do not have Parallel, the I, I do not have the, the capability or time to verify anything in it as truth. <laughs> but yeah. as a tone, it's 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 very good and very entertaining as as it's, just a yeah, thing. I, I do not buy what that movie's selling for one minute, but it is a masterful collection of the arguments for conspiracy. Yeah. 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 I, I I couldn't even begin to to hunt down what's true or not true about it. So I just I don't take that for truth. I I take it as a movie. You know. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway, I I took up Scott. Do you have other answers? I I've been coming I up got, with stuff. You know, I'm gonna think of you know a dozen good historical comics when we sign off. But honestly, nothing's coming to me right now. Yeah, I'm I'm staring at my my wall of books, so <laughs> it's cheating a little I'm, bit. I'm glancing over my shoulder. Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck, the Don Rosa one, was really enjoyable. It's not, I think, what you would consider traditional history, but it's it's <laughs> well, every with single talking ducks in it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's uh it, it's it's great. I mean, like each each one, he basically you know. Uh, figured out that this biography of like the Barksian Uncle Scrooge and like each one is like it's it's basically Uncle Scrooge's Forrest Gump in the 19th century 
And it's each one sort of rigidly adheres to where people were at the time. And so it's it's a lot of fun. Um, and I just uh, I just started reading Enemy Ace for the first time, that big DC showcase thing. And the Qbert biplane fight scenes makes me both only want to and never want to draw biplane fight scenes. It's one of those like dual <laughs> dual things where I know I'm not going to do it as good, but it's it's also like making me want to only draw that. Um, and that I'm only like a third in, so I can hardly credit it as being a, a favorite, but it's it is it is pretty amazing. Cool. Yeah, it's probably, a, it's probably a huge cliche to mention Art Spiegelman's mouse, but uh, I have to say <laughs> that I mean the the, spe- the yeah. specificity of it. It is so specific, is what I really appreciate about that book. And I mean, when I was doing two generals, and people found out, oh, it's about your grandfather. Oh, you're pulling an Art Spiegelman, uh, and uh, that's you know, that's it, an annoying thing to say to you. Yeah, I'm, so- it, 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 it I'm really sorry. Is. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, I mean, obviously, I wasn't trying to do that but but if there's anything that i did take from mouse it's uh just the to be really specific Mm -hmm. cool uh i think that's about that all that i have and uh this is really fun guys josh thank you so much for having us on i really appreciate it very welcome yeah it's been great nice talking to you fellas scott thank you again for sharing your spotlight with me yeah yeah you know come up again and we'll uh we'll go to some more battlefields yeah yeah Awesome. Thanks, guys. Bye. See you guys. And that was one massive talk explode, I think, that we could safely say. Uh, If you want to comment on this show, go to ifanboy.com, and you can check out this uh, podcast and the comments there and all the other stuff we got going on at the website. Um, Make sure to follow the links there to check out uh, Chris and Scott's stuff and check out their books, both fabulous cartoonists. And uh, if you've never... Uh, seen their work or, or read any of their books I cannot recommend it highly enough uh, thanks to both of them for taking the time uh, to talk with us and uh, we'll see you soon with more creator conversations and all sorts of podcast fun thanks very much, bye